Welcome to episode five of Glorious Professionals brought to you by GORUCK Media. Let me let the Navy guy pass real quick. <laughs> that has realism right there, buddy. <laughs> From the Army Special Operations Forces core attributes, adaptability, the ability to maintain composure while responding to or adjusting one's own thinking and actions to fit a changing environment. The ability to think and solve problems in unconventional ways. The ability to recognize, understand, and navigate within multiple social networks. The ability to proactively shape the environment or circumstances in anticipation of desired outcomes. Welcome to episode five of Glorious Professionals brought to you by GORUCK Media. I'm Jason McCarthy. And I'm Rich Rice. And tonight we're going to talk about the deployment mindset. We're having... Cadre Surfhog, aka Sean, on the on the show tonight. Sean has spent about 30 years in, in special forces and most recently gotten back from Iraq. And it struck all of us that the deployment mindset, what you go through when you're preparing for, when you're deploying, and when you return, is much like what we are currently experiencing here in the United States with the COVID. So Sean happens to be a really good friend of, of ours. He lives just up the road. Our, our kids play together. He also happens to be, you know, almost 30 years in, in special forces at this point. And it's, it's an honor to have Sean come visit us in the garage for Glorious Professionals. All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's, a, it's an honor to, uh, to be here, brother. Cool. So today, what we really want to get into is, is to talk about how what we're going through right now, this pandemic, this kind of sense of crisis, how it mirrors a military deployment and, and the mindset associated with that and what it takes to just persevere. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's our main theme for today. And so let's just run through your, like, who are you? Hey, I'm, you know, as Jason said, I'm uh, Sean, a.k.a. Kedra Surfhog. I've been with uh, GORUCK since uh, April, roughly 2014. Uh, I think my first event was in Chicago, Light. Uh, running around up there, but I've got, uh, I'm coming up on uh, 31 years of uh, service, uh, 24 active, uh, 31 total. I'm um, getting ready to call a day, just got back, and I'm um, going to put my retirement packet in and be done in a year, and uh, it'd be a good one. But uh, I spent all my career, um, from the beginning, I was a uh, 18 X-ray uh, Rep 63 SF baby, and so my entire career, minus two years of the initial training and basic training and all that kind of stuff, has been in special forces, special operations, uh, traveling the world. And uh, so that basically means you did not spend any time in any other military units. It was only in in special forces. Only in special forces, yeah. And uh, my goal was to uh, make it to the uh, the dive team, be underwater operations, and that was that's where I spent most of my career uh, on the teams was on the dive team. I, I hate flutter kicks, right? <laughs> They're not my thing. Don't like them. And I always say, you know, my, my buddy, Surfhog, man, he just loves flutter kicks. You know, he's a dive guy. Ask him, he'll tell you, right? It took, Rich, how long did it take him to get out the fact that he was a dive guy here? <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, I'll have to fess up. You know, I taught at the school at Key West, the, the Special Forces Dive School at Key West back in the 70s. And I didn't like flutter kicks. <laughs> I do them because they were a necessary evil, but I didn't like them. It's <laughs> one of the things. How do you how do you know a uh, you know a seal's in a seal? He'll tell you he's a seal. He's like, hey, he's a combat diver. He'll tell you a diver. You know, yep, <laughs> exactly. So uh, let let's get a sense of the type of countries you've been. How many deployments have you been on? How much time have you spent in your career overseas? So I always find that interesting question about uh, how many deployments and so forth. And you have some guys go, hey, I've been on 14 deployments. And some of those deployments were a month and a half or two months long, you know. So what equals a deployment kind of piece, you know. I've been on uh, seven deployments. And is that counting uh, the 30-day J sets and stuff like that? Now it's not. But most of my deployments have been six months or longer. You know, they haven't been a three-month deployment or something like that. So seven total right now. So what kind of countries? So obviously uh, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, Central South America, and then uh, Central Africa. Garden spots. Garden spots. You know, the best <laughs> one was Jordan. Jordan was a good trip, though. I, I spent a little time in Jordan, had some teams in there, so I got to go dive with those boys out in the Red Sea. So I can't, can't bitch about too much about that one. More diving, huh? <laughs> it always comes back to diving. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep that tan, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Proficiency. Proficiency, exactly. Yeah. Proficiency. So you go on longer deployment. I mean, shorter deployments, it's, it's kind of a same up cycle though. Yeah, I, I get it. it. Is. You know, J set is just basically means a, a short trip to joint combined, um, <laughs> exchange training. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, the three of us are like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> he said. it. Right, but it's basically just a it's a short trip where you go link up with with local forces, and it's just kind of an exchange. I mean, Green Berets are diplomats yep. with guns. Yep, and and that's you know that type of diplomacy in lots of places they don't really have diplomats; they have armies. And so you're the diplomat because you have a gun. It's the only way to really do it. So let's talk about where you where you just got back from. So we just uh, came back from the uh, Special Operations Joint Task Force out of uh, Baghdad. It's uh, the two-star command for all special operations uh, and is joint and coalition uh, in Iraq and Syria. Uh, it covers down on both areas. And I was there for roughly about nine months Um and uh, so we sat in uh, Union 3, which is um, right there in Baghdad next to the U.S. Embassy. It's a small military sliver of a base, um, half a mile long, uh, probably at its greatest width is maybe 200 meters, um, two and a half, you know, 250 maybe at its widest point kind of thing. It's a sliver sitting right next to the uh, embassy. Back. So talk to me just in super layman, like what does that mean? Like what are the tactical considerations for having such a small sliver of land in a in a city like that. And that is tough because it is pure city. You have literally sky rises all around you. They have opened up the area that you have highways that are literally going right against your wall overpasses over your, you know, your LCs where your, your helicopters coming in so forth like that. And it's tough. So as a special operations side, we have a small piece of it. You know, the conventional guys in a coalition, they're the base defense and they run the base kind of thing. Even though we set up our own supporting for a special operations compound, um, but it is tough. It is tough to defend. It, it is minor walls. I, I tell you, we always make fun of it. The zombies won't attack. The zombies will make it over the walls. You'll hold them back for a little bit. Hopefully you have enough air support, but it is going to be tough. You, you, you're literally at one point, you're going to be the Alamo. You know, the, the constant joke was that once a lot of stuff happened in Baghdad was that, hey, we just got to make it past six days and we beat the Alamo. You know, that was our biggest thing. You know? <laughs> so that was a constant joke going on there, you know? So, so what are the atmospherics? I mean, just broad brush strokes. I mean, America, Iraq, it's kind of, we, we've moved on sort of. I mean, I say that, you're right. So I'm you're not, not necessarily proudly, but we've, we've kind of moved on, but what, what's it like? You, you've been there. Yeah. So I had, you know, the opportunity, I would say it was the greatest opportunity in the world to, uh, to do both wars, what it is. So you have the Saddam Hussein side, the house war, you know, which, you know, in 06 or seven time period and stuff like that. And then I switched over to the ISIS period, you know, and that's what we were into in the second part here was running through the ISIS piece and uh, the atmospherics over there are changing. It is the, uh, a heavy Iranian influence in Iraq and everybody's trying to get a piece of that pie. And it's, um, it's tough. Uh, it was a semi-permissive environment being in Baghdad, but you know, if it could turn instantly, um, and, but the, the people, the younger generations, Iraqis if we're kind of leaning that way. They want Americans there. They want a greater Iraq. They want to be part of the internet. They want to be part of Facebook. They want to be part of that society. The problem is there's too many generations above them that are weighing them down that are old school Saddam era, in my opinion, areas, you know, when they sit in their private King chairs, literally in King chairs, and they are like dictators in their own little areas kind of thing. They want their Facebook, huh? They want their Facebook. You know what? When all the stuff happened with the strikes and all the stuff going on, when they shut the internet down, that country blew up because they shut the internet down, you know, and then that country did not like that. And the younger generation, that's why they did a big strike too. They shut the internet down and they just rioted, you know, and that was a big thing. Walk us through, walk us through the escalation and and the sort of surprises that you, you faced on that deployment. It was a, a lot of, you know, so we had a, uh, you know, we can move into the Syria piece with the drawdown of Syria. And uh, that was a big, huge piece right there. We had 72 hours and we withdrew out of Syria. And the president said, go. And we went and we knocked down to a smaller slice of a piece of Syria. I'm not getting too much into that, but it, we, it took 72 hours and people have this imagination. Like, you know, we flew all these aircraft in and we imagined flying. Out. Now, yeah, we had aircraft flying in. We also had about 120 vehicles escorting across Syria back into Iraq, you know, coming across. So it was a whole, you know, you got all these vehicles, you got all this equipment getting out and it's a hasty exfil and we got to get out now, you know? And so that slivered down that piece. And then you roll into all of the Iranian piece that we happen. Uh, the riots in Baghdad and so forth like that before all of the, uh, the December, early January stuff that happened was riots because of one of the, uh, it's just the government was treating the people so bad and the jobs, there's no jobs there and stuff like that. So the riots kicked up. They weren't really affecting us where we were. They were all around us. You could hear every night the gunshots and the firing and all that stuff going on, but they didn't really come into the green zone area kind of point at that point. Um, and as time rolled on with the riots outside, but it was then later on when, uh, matter of fact, one of our Terps was killed, uh, roughly uh, end of December. 
Um, that's when we got to the point, we're tired of this. One of your interpreters, so a, a local interpreters. Iraqi that was attached to you. He was actually a U.S., U.S. citizen. Oh. Yeah, he was a linguist brought over. Um, and so most of our guys were all U.S. citizens and had secret clearances, linguists, and so forth like that. Uh, but most of them came from Iraq. So the uh, one was finally killed. And the Iraqs have a responsibility, the Iraq government, to protect U.S. and coalition forces. That is part of the deal generally we have with them. We're going to go ahead and defeat ISIS, attack ISIS in their country. They're going to protect us on our bases. And that's why you look at a lot of bases. They have a lot of Iraqis guarding the base and so forth like that. Um, so we got to the point saying the U.S. got to the point coalition said, hey, we just had another guy killed by rocket attacks by a PMF element. Um, we've been telling you about this. What are you going to do about it? Generally, nothing really came from it. And so what we did, we escalated force and we attacked. We bombed on the, uh, the Syria-Iraq border and killed roughly a 40 to 60 of a uh, Qatar Hezbollah element out there. Um, and then that from there is one thing escalated. And that's when the uh, matter of fact, that morning, the I flew out to Kuwait to do the, uh, the ramp service for the body uh, of our linguist that was killed. Uh, and that night I got back on the bird. So flying down there is when we bombed them. Flying back then, I got back on the 30th, the 31st, when I woke up in the morning, got back up to the, the special operations compound. I uh, got a call on the radio. Hey, we got some weird stuff going on up here. There was a, a road between the two uh, compounds that no one really can go through. Got up top, and there was about 100, 150 Qatar Hezbollah came right down the middle of that, and that's when the embassy attacked at that point. Um, and so everything escalated at that point. It became a lot of issues. Uh, we went from like we are right now, uh, unexpected. You know, we had this virus, you know, kind of unexpected hitless. And the next thing you know, we had these riots. Riots turned into attack on the U.S. Embassy, you know, and you sat there and watched all this going on. And you really couldn't do anything about it yet because it was attacking the embassy. They didn't turn around, attack the compound that we were on yet, but they were right behind us, right behind them. And you could listen on the radio with the RSOs, and there were the uh, just regional security officers and all that stuff on the embassy. And they were going, when are we authorized to go lethal? Because it was getting that bad. I mean, Molotov cocktails going across. It was just getting bad. And uh, they managed the, the Iraqi uh, counterterrorism service came in and managed to back it off. But it, you know, escalated from there. You know, and from that point, you could see that the embassy was starting to exfil. Uh, birds came in at night and getting all the primary staff out. And so that kind of shifted over to the, the military side, too, is get them out, get them out and start shifting everybody out of there. And it was it was a, a moment of realism. And then, you know, we we had the attack on the Iranian general, you know, that has happened there in Baghdad. And all that went down. And we once that happened there, we knew that, hey, this, this is getting real. Let's get everybody out of here. And we started exfilling people out. And so we, was that a surprise to you? Not to get too much in depth with it. No, yeah. it wasn't. Um, we, we we knew something was coming up. Um, and so it was not a surprise, but it was a select few that knew what was going on. Um, but the rest of the special operations did compound, so we did not know. Um, so once that initiated Iran and stuff like that with the, the ballistic missile threat and they were going to retaliate is when we had to start getting everybody out of there. You know, and it was 20, 25 of us who were going to be, hey, you guys are going to hold down the fort. You guys are going to get everybody out of here. And, hey, I've got, hey, CSM, you, you're going to take over here. Pick your 20 guys you want. I picked the 20 guys that I wanted. And I also had them volunteer because I didn't know how we we're getting out of there. You know, it was got to that point. We didn't know that we were actually going to get out of there. Our objective was get everybody out of there. The problem with the where we were is that you had such a high level of experience up here and then a huge gap and no one down below had experience either. So it was two separations. So when you're getting all this stuff together, Hey, listen guys, what's important right now, right? We need food. We need to make sure we got water, get our ammo, get our defense positions set up and make sure our Mark 19 weapon systems are good to go. So forth like that. People weren't thinking that. So we're collecting all the protein bars because we don't have food. Chow hall gets shut down. You know, you're not going to be able to get to it, so we got to have it. So, What click. kind of protein bars? All kinds of protein bars, cliff bars, candy, whatever you want. We had to separate the candy. <laughs> it's hard to walk by and not grab some candy when you walk down the hall. And kind of it out. Yeah, that's why you got those pockets in your BDUs, <laughs> right? It's like, shove them full. But people were kind of like, what are you doing? I said, you're not using that food. You're excellent. I'm getting you on a bird right now, tonight. I want your food, and guess what? You're taking one magazine, the rest of the magazines are staying here because we need that ammo when it comes back down to it, you know? And then you start pulling out body bags, and people are like, what are you doing? I go, there's a, there's a point of optimism, hope for the best, and there's a point of, hey, it's time to get realistic, you know? And I don't have time to humor you because you've never seen body bags before, and now you're scared. Deal with it. Sit in a corner. Deal with it. I've got to fight the fight, not to worry about you right now because I'm about to put you on a bird, you know, and stuff like that. So people who hadn't been deployed before, suddenly were used to being on a staff, were now in the mix. 
And now suddenly they had to make some decisions because you're leaving, you're told, you're leaving all your gear. You're taking one bag, a three-day pack pack. That's all you're taking. These guys had five or six bags of stuff. It's like, guess what? You ain't taking it. It's getting burned. We're going to destroy everything, you know, on the way out of here. And then their face is like, oh, these are my memories. Like, hey, brother. My foxhole is beautiful, <laughs> yeah, though. Said, no, right? I got, I got a flat stuff, screen. <laughs> I got all this stuff. <laughs> exactly. What are we going to do with my satellite TV, man? Well, you can't take it with you, brother. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to see that because now you're putting into a situation now. Now, suddenly, you have to take a step back and see what is it that is really important, what you really need to survive and get by for the long run. You're not sure how long it's going to be. It could be 20, 30 days, you know, longer. The hell am I going to survive? Because there's no food coming in. The chow hall hose only has 20 more days of chow hall. They only have 15 days of MREs. Oh, by the way, the coalition are trying to steal the MREs. So they have guards now on the MREs on base. It's getting ridiculous. Now do we have an external fight. I've got an internal fight going on down there. I'm like, this is ridiculous, guys. You know, and we're waiting to fight. So, that's when you're focused at, hey, what do I need to survive? Hey, we At this point, we go to two meals a day. At this point, we go one meal a day. We're going to ranger school. We're going one meal a day right here. And that's something the mindset that people have to have and understand what's going on. Don't be stealing food. Don't be stealing water. Don't touch those frag grenades unless you know how to use a frag grenade and stuff like that. You know, you're walking up there. So what you're describing to me is go ugly early. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, you have to. Do what you got to do up front. Period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I sort of mentioned it's from, it was the Sears school lesson I got. It's like, you're starving. Do you want a run over roadkill skunk or do you want to, or do you want to starve? Yep. Right. You know, you're at day two or three of not eating. Are you too good for run over roadkill skunk or are you going to eat it? Just cook it more if you can, right? Yeah. It'd be fine. I prefer so possum. <laughs> well, anything's better than, than skunk, I think. <laughs> but, you know, it goes back to saying, you know, you know back to the, he's like, hey, I'd rather, rather go down river with seven studs uh, with the, rather than 100 shitheads kind of thing, you know. And nothing wrong with the people that left, but it really, you cut away the fat and you got people out of there. And these are the people focused that you are now here for the fight. Your job and where our job is, is to hold the Alamo, to hold the fort as long as we can. And, you know, when the, when the CG and them were leaving and they're like, how are you guys getting? The guys are asking, how are you guys getting out? I go, I don't know. <laughs> We've no. got, I've got seven vehicles. One of my guy goes, hey, are we going to drive to Jordan? I go, I don't know. We're going to take it one step at a time. <laughs> Maybe we'll drive to Jordan when we get out of here. I don't know. You so know? what are your needs at that point, right? Because you, you are at the most essential, basic level of human yeah. at that point. You know, how much did you think about you know, your flat screen TV at home and the Starbucks up the road and, you know, oh, there's this Publix that has all the, like, it, it's, it's so irrelevant at it that is. point. It is. It's, it's first world problems. You know, we always say it, those are first world problems. And a lot of stuff we're dealing with now is really first world problems. Yeah. I can't go. I heard someone go, I ran a tequila. I go, well, that's kind of a first world problem. You know? I mean, so what? You'll still survive without tequila. I mean, it's nice to have tequila, but you know, you'll survive. But right there, you're, you're thinking about First of all, basic essentials, you know, you're thinking base defense, first of all, too, but you're also going, hey, you got to make sure we got water. Like I said, either go ahead and confiscate all the food now, gather all the food up in this building and put it in one central location so we know where it is. We didn't have, we had, I think we got, uh, I think we got like 12 cases of MREs in, ain't much, ain't last us very long, you know. Um, then you start gathering all the ammo up and trust me, we didn't have much ammo because it was, it's a, a two-star level bay uh, headquarters, you know, you weren't expecting to get into that fight that bad, you know. Even though our teams were squared away, you know, we had to go and find ammo. We collected ammo and so forth like that. We got up there and looked at the 50 cal and go, how many cases of 50 cal we got? Well, we only got four cans, make four cans. Shit. You know, it's like, this ain't going to last as long with the 50 cal guys you know, and stuff like that. And hey, where's the, how much stuff the Mark 19? We got one can, you know, it's like, God, man, you got one can. What are, what are we doing with this? We're going to scare them? What's going on? You know, kind of. You know, and so it's going and collecting, you know, begging, borrowing. Hey, where's the ammo at? How do we get ammo in? Can we drop it in and figure it out? Make sure someone's not hoarding it. Man, it was, God, that's this thing. You know, it's like hoarding the MREs down there or something like that. And you got this toilet paper stuff like that. I'm like, this is Guys, it's ridiculous, man. I never really thought, well, you'll get more toilet paper. We're not at that point in life. We're not going to get that, you know? Um, you can go down below. But like you said, Jason, it's, it's, you go right back to the essentials. Hey, I, what do I need to, to fight the fight? When it comes to survival, I need water, I need some food. And then how much ammo do I need? And I got to make sure my guys are getting some sleep because they're on the roof constantly, you know, and so forth that. And it goes back to the same thing. Hey, batteries. For us in the military, we got to have batteries, right? We're running comm systems. Make sure we got chargers up. Make sure we got batteries. Make sure you guys got batteries for EOTechs, whatever sites you're using, your flashlights, stuff like that. It's constant. You have to go collect all that stuff and gather it up. It's like, you know, I went from being a CSM to being a team sergeant like that, you know, and it's like, hey, 
how much ammo do we have? I had it on the board. I understood how much ammo I had, how much batteries I had, and what was our food? What was our, hey, what was our existence going to be? You know, and, and what, when we're going to run out? Where was it at? You know? Well, I think a lot of that's going on, right? I mean, a lot it of people is. have to actually manage their own families right now. There's no external help. Nobody's going to, you know, I mean, this is not a complaint. This is just our reality. Like we don't, we, we are obeying social distancing. We don't have babysitters coming over to help. I mean, Em and I are the only two watching our kids, you know, her mom's not coming over, right? So this idea of, you know, you have this, this community, this network, and it gets kind of contracted. So you go, you go from a, a command sergeant major, you know, to, to a team sergeant. I mean, that's what, 10 years ago? Yeah. Right. But, but that's what it is. Yep. I mean, it's not, don't let your ego get in the way of that. That's what you need to be doing. You know, and it, it's, it was luckily because the guys, you know, on that roof, you know, it was, you know, you have myself, I got several O6s, I've got a rear admiral and I've got other people on sitting on that roof, you know, and you got, that's unusual, you know, rarely do you see that something like that going on, but it is a world of a wealth of knowledge. You got a guy who was on Roberts Ridge as, you know, as an Air Force guy. I have another guy who was part of the Bin Laden stuff going on. And it's the wealth experience and knowledge that we had up on that roof. Then you have the young guys come up there from different elements and they're kind of like, uh, we got this. And like, no, no, son, trust me, we got this. You know, we, we've been through this. We've done this stuff before. And this is your first time. Listen to us. We're going to guide you through this kind of piece, you know? So I guess part of what I'm getting at, and if, if you're out there listening, we've got the garage door open and it's, it's started raining a little bit. So it's just adding to the, the aura <laughs> here. But if you have to sort of jump from no pre-deployment stuff to all of a sudden, hey, you're on deployment, right? I mean, what are, what are the takeaways? Like, what is the deployment mindset is what I'm getting at? I don't know, Rich, what do you, what do you think of that? You have, to, you have to look at, or what I've looked at in the past, and I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about it. It's making the abnormal normal. Yeah. When you leave what you have known as your life here on a deployment, and you go to something else, and now in America, we've got people that went from going to Starbucks, going to Publix whenever they felt like they needed toilet paper, and there was rolls on the shelf, or whatever it might be that they had to do to pick up. They went from that to all of a sudden a quarantine, a stay in place. Yeah. And to learn the abnormal becomes normal. And that's what you have to process through. Easy enough to do in the military because you've got several things going for you. You've got your training going for you. You've got the older people that are around you that have been on deployments before that talk you through it, mentors. That's why I'm so big on mentors throughout life, because you've got mentors that are talking to you, explaining to you what you're going to go through, what you're going through, and what you've been through. And that makes a great difference. And that's what a lot of people don't have right now. They don't have a lot of mentors out there. Right. And like Jason's asking, too, is, is what happens? You know, hey, right now, suddenly we're on deployment. We weren't preparing for it next in deployment. You know, with our training and other people's mindset is be able to go, okay, let's, let's stop Let's assess the situation. Where am I at right now in my house, in my life? Where am I at? You take a step back. And I mentioned earlier, open up that aperture and that way see what else is. Because some people get so focused, you know, on like, hey, what is on their desk was in front of them. They don't step back and take a look because your house and how you act affects the guy next to you. It's kind of like the, we call it air of operation, air responsibility kind of thing. This may be my air of operation, but my air responsibility covers neighbors too and so forth that those are my responsibilities too in my community. You know, and be able to step back and say, how does this affect everything going around me? And how am I and my family ready for this and my friends and how can we support and all the people around us too? Yeah, how can I reach out and help the people around yeah. me? Uh, I've noticed as I moved into this area down here back in August, some of the older folks that live near me. And so whenever I saw them on the streets when this started, I'd be asking them, you know, hey, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, yeah, I'm old. I understand that. But <laughs> there's guys that can't even get around <laughs> you, you without an electronic wheelchair. You know? 69 or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have to look at your community. Yeah. You have to be involved in your community to the, gr the degree that you can be. You have to be careful about that, that you don't overcommit yourself because your primary focus is your family and yourself. Then you look at your community and others around you. And that's a great point, too. So people are looking at the now. They're not looking at, hey, what's going to happen 120, 180, 100 days? Because at the end of this, we all have to come back together. 
you know? So if we don't act like humans now and be part of the community now, 180 days from now, it's going to be a lot worse because no one's going to want to talk to each other is how do we support each other now? Because in the long run, this will pass, life will change, but we will get back to a community. So it, it is ordered. It's important to keep that humanity about us and ask your neighbors, how's it going? Check on people, call on them and so forth like that. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's interesting piece that the, the day changes, you know, and, and one of the mornings I woke up and it's constantly improving your foxhole. Like you do your house right now, right? You're, you're constantly improving your house. What can I do right now to fix up my house? Make sure you're cleaning the house and doing something like that, improving the fox. So whatever you got to do in the house. You know, I woke up one morning and uh, we had a, a lull in the uh, atmospherics outside. So I said, hey, we need to go outside. Take a look at what the enemy sees outside looking into the corner where we are. And we're a pretty vulnerable spot where the special operations compound was. So we went out and got a good look and saw, hey, what are our vulnerable spots or weak points? Take a look at our fighting positions and all that kind of stuff. Got out of a vehicle, started moving. I got attacked by a dog out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Just a long haired German shepherd out of the middle of no Iraqi dog somewhere. You know, I still think I should get a purple heart. I believe he was part of the PMF, you know, came and he took a big chunk of my ass and leg out of nowhere, you know? So literally I think I wake up that morning, go outside a defensive position in an enemy area, get attacked by a dog, be sitting in the aid station, getting, getting rabies shots that, you know, that afternoon. And then as I'm walking back up to the compound, there's a bunch of 82nd guys show up and go, hey, we're here to help. I'm like, oh, you're here to help. What the hell? I've got too many guys as it is. So here I am running around showing these 82nd guys, putting them in fighting positions, you know, inside this area. And I go, hey, do you have an IR strobe? The guy goes, why do we need an IR strobe? I said, because I got an AC-130 gunship flying over my head right now that I make sure he identifies you. So here, here's your IR strobe. Make sure you hold on to that for your unit right here, you know? And it was just one of those days you're like, this is a crazy day, man. How the hell did I get here right now? Kind of like, shouldn't I be home like in three weeks? <laughs> you know, and then you run back in and it's like, hey, where are we? Back to normal. Where are we with ammo? We got any more ammo? Where's our food? And so back and back into the normal stuff, procedures, guys are, are helping each other. And that was a huge part about that too, is everybody there at that end was, they were, look for work. And everybody was, there was nobody going, sitting in their chew and that's hanging a great, out. That's a great you know? concept. That's a mindset yeah. thing right there. It is. Look for work, find yourself a job, be, be productive, be motivated and be useful. Exactly. And that's an important piece there was be useful, look for work. And guys did that. You know, they were constantly moving around, constantly coming to me going, hey, what next, what next, what next? And go, hey, you got it, man. You're an E6, E7 Marine Corps. You got this. You can have this. And he go out there and do their thing, you know. And that was the biggest thing, too, is no, leadership is huge. It's very important about this is like, hey, make sure that you give that individual. You don't want to micromanage. You're giving them, hey. He's an E67. Give him that ability. Give him his left and right limits and let him run. You know, fire and forget guys. And that so, was so very that's important. a staff sergeant, sergeant first class, yeah. right? That means they've been in for six, seven, yeah. eight years, something like that. I mean, you, you've been in for almost 30. Yeah. There, there's a difference in experience, but man, you know, there's a place for the full spectrum because they're, you know, they got better knees. They can probably run a little faster. I mean, you're a stud. And Rich, Rich is the biggest stud I know. So probably the fastest guy on the planet, right? If, if, if there's a competition. But, you know, I mean, there, there, is, there is that sort of hard charger versus, hey, 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 you're, you're charging in the wrong direction. Give them the right direction. Exactly. You know, hey, pull them back. You know, hey, got it. It's like, it's like the lead, you know, number one man, you know, in CQB in a door. Got to hold on to you. I got it. You're, you're ready to go. But let me just give you a little guidance here. Hold on to this yeah. kind of thing, you know. And that was the same point with these guys. But they were the right guys. It's the right time. What we needed at the time, you know. And it was, it, was, it was great to see that and be part of that piece, you know, at the end of there. But yeah, so then, you know, the, in the ballistic missile thing, you know, and then it, it rolled into that. You know? You're and talking about the... Back to the Baghdad, the Iranian piece. And um, as you're talking about the the timeline, you know, as we rolled into that, so it was, you know, we we kept getting false reports and it was kind of a weird uh, over the Merck chat and stuff like that. Hey, ballistic missiles in the air, Ah, false report, false report, false report. And then on the uh, the night of the ballistic attack was that the uh, woke me up and uh, it was, it was kind of funny because we pulled everybody inside um, into the, it was, it was an old Saddam Hussein area. And uh, I said, everybody, it was small people then. We got most people out of that point. And we said, everybody hunkered down here right now. And uh, I remember I was sleeping in the uh, the chaplain's office. I needed a dark spot, you know, and uh, so I was sleeping. Hey, in the how chapel- are you sleeping? On the floor, on couch? The f- on the floor. And I had my, my whoopee. A whoopee. on the floor. Yes. And have all my kit next to me. And I get woken up, you know, by uh, two of my buddies. They woke up and they're in full kit looking at me and go, get dressed. 
ballistic missiles are coming. They're like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of like that, you know. And uh, so I get up and we walk in there and uh, we call everybody in, get them all set. And uh, it was a false report. They come back, false report, no ballistic missiles in the air, you know. And uh, I was like, okay. So we send everybody back. Hey, everybody go back to Hooch, Hooch's, lay down, relax, you know. And I'm already up, get back on the computer. We're back on uh, the Merc chat. And uh, we had the radio from the embassy going off, and it, it comes off, and the RSO goes, all personnel, seek shelter now, move to center of buildings, concrete buildings. And me and my buddy looked at each other and go, oh, shit, it's on. Uh, so we got we had to run outside, get everybody, get them in, and say, hey, get inside. They're coming this time. And we got everybody lining the wall. And you're literally listening to Countdown. You know, hey, Baghdad, ballistic missile, uh, splash, two minutes. And at that point, you're going like, hey, you know, the fear is there. But... Is also the fear of going, hey, I have all these people I've got to worry about. I don't have time to think about fear. They have enough fear in them. I've got to worry about making sure that, hey, guess what? Everybody get a shovel. Everybody get to turn your headlamps on because if it hits us, you've got to dig your way out or I've got to find your body through your headlamp. You know, it's the realism. You know, I don't have time for my, I, for a minute there, I thought about my wife. I thought about my child, I thought about my son, Keelan. But I only did it for a couple seconds. As a matter of fact, I got on the phone. I said, text real quick. I said, I love you. You, you can't really allow yourself more than that. Yeah. You've got to get back on job. Find work, you know, and there's that rain coming down. Yeah. It's, a, it's a dreary, eerie night for this story. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your Alamo moment, how, how did it? You know, it was the, uh, at the end, we got everybody out of there, and you, you, you saw the ballistic missile launches, and they hit and so forth like that. And um, on a good news, it didn't really didn't really kill anybody on the U.S. and so forth like that. There was some damages here, you know, and we got some people injured and so forth like that. But that night, once we that, that happened, we knew it was a game changer. We thought it was going to be a game changer. We thought, hey, here we go, War Three. We are literally, I am not going home in three weeks. I'm going to Iran or something like that. You know, they, we, they're going to be hold fast. You know, it's going to be a hold steady on everything we got going there, you know. So once it calmed down, the president didn't do anything. We didn't launch anything. We didn't initiate anything after that. Uh, we realized that, hey, actually, I think this is actually calming down. And the Alamo was still there, and it was that the moment was over. It, it ended really weird, you know. It just it escalated so fast, and just it fell away so fast too. And it was kind of like, well, back to business. Because one thing we didn't do is because of all this, is that we had to pull back on defeat ISIS missions, and we had to focus on the Iranian threat and the PMF threat and the, Hez, the Qatar Hezbollah threat and all that kind of stuff going on. So now it was time to get back on focus. You know, it was fine to hey, we're doing de-ISIS, we'll still deal with the PMF stuff and all that kind of stuff and deal with that and get back to life as normal, you know, and that's what, you know, going here. And that's what we are kind of, you know, we're what, two, three, three weeks into this now, right? And so you're kind of going, okay, first two weeks, you're kind of like, ah, uh, and now you're kind of trying to find that normal, you know, what is my normal activity going on right now, you know, and that's what it was going back to normal from now on. So it's kind of a cycle that goes from, you're hey, Rich, hold on one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut that garage door. It was too loud for me. Now we're really gonna sweat. <laughs> you need to put a fan in here. <laughs> you cheap son of a. <laughs> I like yeah. the rain. But you know what? We might just have to keep this banter in here. These guys just you know. We're old. Hey, Jason. I just I just shut the shut the garage door. It was nice and cool out there, but I feel like it was maybe just a little bit too too loud on the ears. Yeah, just pissing rain. You know, but at the end of the story was you know we uh, the unit we were guys rotating in and there was um, we were rotating out and it was a uh, again it, it happened so quick it was. Um, they were looking at, hey, bringing forces back into where we were. But for the longest time, it was just 20 guys there, 25. But it was, it was a ghost town. Like you're talking about running around here, it was. You're used to having some of the main streets, people moving around, going to Chow Hall. But it was dead. It was like, hey, you have a thing called castle drill. A castle is, is generally hold in place. You will hold in place your house. You will hold at your work. And that's what we did. You know? And it, was, it wasn't going to Chow Hall. There wasn't any kind of movement outside. It was a castle drill, hold in place. And that's what we had to do. You know, and then I came back to this lovely situation, you know, so, which, you know, which is hard because you're used to be, you're back there, you're isolated. It is what it is. You, it doesn't really bother you. You know, I don't have alcohol. I'm not doing it over there. I do my job. Expectations though, right? It's expectation management, you know, but you're right. So you're coming back here. I have expectations. So I want to, I'm coming home. You know, that's the biggest thing is your left and right limits. I have a pile of left and right limits here. I can go to Starbucks. I can go get, you know, a margarita down at Taco Lou's or something what it's going to be, you know. And suddenly I come back home and, no, you can't. You're, you're isolated with my house with my wife and my four-year-old. 
Home projects. Home projects. <laughs> Homeschooling. And you got, what, 10 months of honeydew list. Oh, God. You know, and, and it was funny. I was talking to my wife. I go, you know what's uh, kind of weird about walking around the house all day is that I'm afraid I'm getting shot by a Nerf gun by my son out of nowhere. <laughs> it's daily. You know, I'm like, oh, damn it. When am I going to get shot? He'll help out the shower. He'll shoot me with a Nerf gun. I'm like, after a while, you're just like, I just got back from a war zone where your mind stopped shooting at me for a while. <laughs> Take it easy with me, you know? Um, but it is, you, you, you lose those left and right limits. You use those, you know, I want to go do this and that. And you're back here, and I feel like, God, I'm just, you know, half a mile away is a nice restaurant and social people there and people to talk to, but it's not there right now. It's not able. So, so, so what's our advice? Like, how do you, how do you make that shift, that mental shift? How do you accept your, your position? It, you know what? We always say it is what it is, you know, and we accept that. You know, it's easy for us to accept that. It is what it is. There goes the Budweiser right there. Jason, by the way, was very nice enough to have some Sierra Nevada for me here. You're welcome. The last time I drank Budweiser, I think I was a senior in high school. You know, <laughs> that's all I could get. <laughs> but, uh, but it was. It, it is what it is. And, and people are accepting it. But you know what? People are in different situations. I can't complain. I, I'm sitting out here at the beaches and I have an open area and I can move around and walk around and allow me. Some places are in people are in the cities and they don't have that capability. You know, they're stuck in their apartment. They can't move around, you know. So I, I've got a good where I'm at and I can't complain. But the biggest thing with everybody out there is, hey, hey, this will end. Expectation management. You just you just have to deal with it. You have to come back. This is the norm for now. The norm will change in 120 days, six months, whatever it may be. It's just you can't let yourself think about it too much. And, you know, we talked about optimism. Hey, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. I have to be, I have to think out there and go positive things, but I also have to go, I'm also a realist of what's going, currently going on. And that's the way you have to, I think, in my opinion, what you have to be. So what would you be doing if you were in New York City with your, your wife and, and Keelan? That's what you'd have to set up your schedule. In my opinion, you'd have to set up a schedule to keep you normal. You have to do workouts, you know, find a new way to work out. Find a way to spend your time with your son doing, you know, whatever activity is going to be schooling with your wife and stuff like that, getting on the computer and also getting on the Internet and talking Zoom or FaceTime with friends like that, you know, and obviously having a rum and Coke or a margarita because you got to have that on you, you know, at all times. Two o'clock at seven o'clock or sorry, seven o'clock is two drinks minimum, that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> that's how he starts. But um, that would be the hardest thing sitting in New York City. It's like, you know, you're asking me what would I do in New York City? I'm not in that situation. It's tough to say what exactly what I do. But, in but you just did. You said, look, I would, I would apply what I know that makes my life run better is some type of schedule. I would, I would hold myself to that. I would make it so that it's not, because one of the worst things you can do is just sit around and, and think about what your life's going to be in 10 years, right? Yeah. Oh man, like what, right in the middle of a, in the middle of a coronavirus or the plague or whatever this is, right? I mean, you just like, it's not the time for that. Now is the time. It's the tactical side of, Hey, my, I need to focus on my needs, not my wants. I need to contract my needs. Like you don't need stuff that you think you need. Like don't go into debt yep. to, to, for, to support needs unless needs are at the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, food, water, in your case, it was ammo <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, that's where you need that stuff. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, just reduce your wants, but take care of yourself and, and put, put some type of schedule to it. You do. You're absolutely right. You've got to have that schedule. Like, like I said, the first couple of weeks, people were, I think the first two weeks, people were like, all right, do what I want, move it around. And then they're coming to realize that I'm not, I can't do this every day. It's just kind of wearing, you know, I've got to have, as, as a lot of people have here, you've got to have a schedule. You've got to have something to get you up in the morning. You've got to have your goals throughout that day. Hey, a minor goal. Hey, you know what? I'm going to clean all the toilets today. Hey, that's a goal. You know, when's the last time you really cleaned all your toilets, you know, or cleaned your shower and now's the time of doing it, you know, and so forth like that. And so it's getting into that. Make your bed, right? <laughs> Make I've your heard, bed, right. right? That's the, that's the big one. That's circling the, big one, right? the internet, yeah. but I mean, literally right now, stuff yeah. like that is, is more relevant. I mean, frankly, I don't really make my bed. I, I just sort of take the big sheet and yeah. push it over. I, I, I hate the sheets, right? I just like the big comforter top. It's easier. You don't have to make the bed, yeah. which I hated, right? Basic training, what do you do? You never sleep under the covers. Who does that? Never. Nobody ever does that. You just sort of 
sleep on top of it so that in the morning it's easier to make perfect. The hell you say, I sleep under the bunk. So the all I have to do is dust it slightly. <laughs> well, back in his day, it's like, oh, the, the mattress were actually bedrock. That's what the mattress is. Oh, yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> bedrock and broadswords. Gotcha. Yeah. So it really is just a contraction though, right? And, and there's an acceptance of that. And, and we're asking, or actually the world is telling people that this is going on, right? The enemy has a vote. You, you didn't get to choose, oh shoot, I guess we're going to drop a, a bomb on someone, right? There's going to be after effects of all this stuff. And you were, you were there, you were, you know, you were part of the potential collateral damage or the fallout of, of really at the highest level national strategic operation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And your job was to make do with what you had. Yep, and that was it. And it was, you know, like you said, you know, the after effects, the second order effects, as we love to say in the military. But it's driven into me so much too, is to understand when you make decisions, you know, whether it be a, a, a verbal or a physical action, you know, you have to understand what are the second and third order effects of those, you know, those actions, you know. And understanding right now, what are the second and third order effects of the things we are doing right now, you know. And it's important to guys looking out, hey, what's going to be 120 days, you know, because people are so focused on I may day tomorrow, die tomorrow. So you're not going to. And just if you do the right stuff and you do social distancing, you do the mass, stuff like that, be smart about it. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. We're going to push through it. We've been through worse as, you know, a, a, you know, humanity. We've been through a lot worse than this, you know, and we're, we're going to make it through this kind of piece. As I mean, long life as always has some risk. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's all, you can you can do everything right. This is the perspective you learn in the military. You do everything right. If there's a sniper at the wrong place and you're walking by the wrong spot at the wrong time, if it's your time, it's your time. And that, that can happen here too, but you can control a lot. You do. You can control quite a bit of that, you know, and it's like that 80% rule, you know, you can control 80%, that, that 20%, you know, is unknown, you know, and it may affect you. But as long as you can control that 80% or be smart about it, preparation and be smart at what you do, then that 20% is less thing. It, the, the margin shrinks quite a bit of how it will affect you. But you do have to sacrifice. You do. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the through line. To me, that's the kind of expectation bridge right now where you've got everybody sacrificing someone, something. In, in, across the whole world, everyone is sacrificing something, right? Freedom of movement, you know, take, take your pick. You know, we're losing people. It's, it's hugely impacting, you know, the healthcare workers on the front lines. I mean, it's, they're, they're sacrificing the most and God bless them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing just God's work for all of us. And, and so you've got this situation where that's not been the norm. And so to, to sort of say, hey, there will be a silver lining out of this. And, and part of it is to realize that we're all part of something bigger than ourselves. And that involves sacrifice. You don't owe your country nothing, no matter what. And, and this is just a very tangible and tactical way that people are, are forced to sacrifice. It is. And, and what I love about right now, seeing a lot of stuff going on too, is, is people are overcoming and looking to it and they're adapting. You know, how do we, how do I talk to my family? You know, doing the FaceTime and all that stuff. Man, well, I was talking to my friends at night on, around the campfire and my old buddies of mine, you know, and uh, we were just texting each other and I said, Hey guys, can, is it possible to FaceTime? We did a group FaceTime, bunch of old guys on FaceTime. Hey, look at that. You know, and it's, it, but it's overcoming that. I won't be able to see these guys for how long, but I can see them on FaceTime, but it's, it's adapting. It's overcoming the situation we're in. How do we work around this? How do we do this, do this and, and getting out there kind of piece, you know? And, and you, I see a lot of that with the people right now. They're, they're figuring out new ways of doing things while keeping safe and, and doing the right thing. So let's talk about some of the, the kind of characteristics in really broad brushstrokes here about what a deployment is like. Freedom of movement. Does it exist? Right. I mean, yeah. what civil liberties and all this stuff, like do what you want when you want. I mean, needs versus wants, yep. right? I mean, yep. the idea of the enemy has a vote. Yep. You know, I mean, how does that, like, how does it feel? I mean, I remember culture shock when I got back from my first deployment. The biggest thing for me for as a male is like, you know, the more information I have, the more comfortable I'm going to be on the ground. You know, it's unknown is a killer for a lot of things we do. You know, we try to prepare 80% solution um, before going into anything we do. We know that there's 20% of unknown. So it's trying to prepare yourself for that unknown and get as prepared as you can mentally uh, before when you hit that ground, because you don't know, there's an old saying, how do I get into the objective? 
was it was a door and how am I getting back? That's all I need to know, you know, and that's kind of true because when you hit that ground, that door, you don't know what's going to happen once you get the ground. And that's kind of the thing you're preparing yourself mentally, what's going to happen and keeping it open. You, uh, you don't going. know what you don't know. Exactly. And you know? a lot of people that have gone into the situation that we're in in America right now have fallen into that same process. It's a fear of the unknown. Yep. And if you want to get right down to it, it's a fear of death. Am I going to live through this? Mm-hmm. Am I going to come out on the other side? Am I going to be whole? And I'm going to be able to take care of my family if I have one, or am I going to be able to take care of myself? And so there's that, that fear that, that lags out there. The training eradicates that fear to a great degree mm-hmm. in the military. For most people in America today, they've never gone through that process. So- it's just get on the ground. Let's get comfortable. Let's take a look at the real situation. It's like, hey, find out ground truth. That's exactly what it is. It, it takes oh, the wisdom of going to know that that's what it is, right? Let's get on the ground. Let's find the ground truth. Let's find our, our battle rhythm. Yep. Yeah. And, and so how do you thrive on deployment? How do you just accept your lot? And then how do we apply that to where people are now? I think that's kind of a tough thing. So, you know, like Rich has got a lot of experience too, is that you know how to shift gears in time, your training and so forth like that, you know how to shift gears. So when I deploy, I shift gears. When I come back, I shift gears. And like you said, the first time you came back and the first time I came back from Afghanistan, you know, you came back to society and it was, you were just, I mean, back those days, it was, it was total wild west, you know? And, uh, so coming back to society, you're just like, this is just such an awkward, weird thing coming back to us, you know? But shifting gears is the biggest thing. And it's hard for some people to do that because they're not used to doing that. They're used to their their daily routine. I get up, I go to Starbucks, I drive to work, I'm doing this and this. Now suddenly your routine is thrown up. An important part of that is is setting up a routine in your life now. You know, so me just coming back, I came on 25 days of leave and that was kind of tough to kind of just relax and adjust things around the house. And then I go right into this thing. So next thing you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we're not back on base. I'm sitting in the opposite of my house doing telework kind of thing, you know? So I literally have to make myself, and I haven't done it yet though. I, I tell you this one, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing right now. But I, I started getting up at like 7 a.m. And, and doing a little work and start setting a schedule, homeschooling, stuff like that. Haven't done it yet, but I plan to do it soon. <laughs> So what do you see on the physical fitness front? Like, how, how do you relate this to your, your time? You know, thinking about that earlier, you know, in, in the beginning days in, in Afghanistan was that, you know, we didn't have time to work out. It was running and gunning. We're doing two-week missions, you know, search and destroy kind of missions out there in the middle of Afghanistan running around, you know. And we didn't get a chance to do that working because you're constantly going, constantly going. You know, but then we, when we started getting slower towards the end of that first deployment there was that we find different things to work out. You know, we, we'd, we'd have sandbags, we'd have our sledgehammers, stuff like that. We'd find tires and we- And stuff. That's right. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we would make things happen. And, and look at people now though, man, it's the same way. You're doing garage workouts. You're figuring out, you know what? I don't necessarily need to do all this. I can do this to get by right now and, and enjoy my sandbags or enjoy- Coming to my house, I got all kinds of tires and stuff to throw around, you know, and, and that's when people are going back to physical fitness to me is when you are physically depleted, you're mentally depleted. So it is important to me to keep your physically fitness because if you want to keep going and keep your mentally right, you have to be physically fit to keep help keep you mentally right. You know, I get just because it's so driven in me for almost 49 years now, not 49 years, I guess I wasn't a kid, I didn't do it so much, but it's driven in me that if I don't work out after a while, I start getting irritated and it helps me keep calm. I do a workout. It keeps calm. It keeps me relaxed. I feel better about what's going on and it helps me make better decisions. Uh, in my opinion, we know this about our kids and our dogs, right? Yeah. I mean, this, it's just common sense. And then we get to a point where we're so smart and we can stare at a screen all day and use our big brains and make a lot of money. And we forget about the, the basics, the, the fundamentals you need to move. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're out there, your, your step count might be down if you live in some of these cities. So you got you to gotta overcome that some other way. I mean, New York City is built on locomotion. I mean, you're just moving, you're, you're walking everywhere, you're, you're just on the move. And when you don't do that, you need to overcome that. I mean, Count of Monte Cristo style or something, take your pick, deployment, you know, prison looking, PT, you got something that weighs something, you can do just about anything. Yeah. And like you said, just doing basic body weight stuff, you know, that's a great way to get by too. pull ups and push ups and stuff like sit ups, you know, but what increases that so much is having that, you know, having, you know, sandbags or whatever you can have. Hey man, 
I've done chairs and hotel rooms, you know, or doing bands or stuff like that to do those workouts, you know. It's stepping back and looking around going, what do I have in this room that I can work out with, you know, and, and it's it's important. It's important to keep that mentality going and keep your mentally sharp so far too. Set the schedule, get yeah. some motivation. I had a mountain yard that taught me. Yeah. <laughs> One of my team. I mean, he, he was a, a Jirai, a, a warrior cast of the, of the mountain yard tribe. And he'd gotten a galvanized piece of pipe some number 10 cans from the mess hall, which are the big cans that green beans and carrots and all that other crap yeah. comes in, filled them with cement, stuck the galvanized pipe in, one on each end, and he's out there pumping. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a great idea. So the whole team got out there and started doing that. Adapting. So it was like, you know, just simple stuff, whatever you've got available. Yep, you're adapting. You yeah, know? You're, you're gonna. You're not gonna let. You're not gonna let the situation determine you. You're gonna determine the situation right there by adapting what you need to do. Yeah, and it's important to get that mentality yeah. going. So, Rich, what sort of advice would you give to people out there? How how to how to adapt to this situation with the kind of deployment mindset? I, I think what Sean said earlier is is one of the most important points, and that is. You need to maintain an optimistic attitude, but you need to be realistic in your expectations and the way that you approach your current life. Because life goes normal, abnormal, abnormal becomes normal, becomes abnormal, becomes normal. You mentioned it earlier. When I came back, the hardest thing on a deployment that I ever did was coming back. The first time I came back from Vietnam, I pissed off everybody I knew. I alienated everybody, family, friends, it didn't matter, because I didn't know how to adapt coming back to what we called the world. Because rotations at that time were 13 months. Yeah. So it was like, okay, eh, I can do 13 months, and I did 13 months. First tour, came back, and I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to fit myself back into society. So you need to look around you, and this is important, I think, for, for people to do now. Look around you and figure out where can you fit. Where can you fit for you? Where can you fit for your family? Where can you fit for your community? I think those are the most important things that you can do. And you, you, again, you need to maintain that realistic attitude. Do you need 140 rolls of toilet paper? No. Do you need six or 12? Yeah, maybe. That'd be nice to have. But do you need 140? Do you need to hoard? I've been watching all these hoarders on TV. The guy that had... <laughs> Is that this image of you sitting in your, your man cave at your house, right? Watching, watching the boob tube late at night, cracking a beer, right? And it's just disgust, you know? I, I'm just so damn... I, I get, I, I get so, so upset with these people that, that are trying to make a buck off of this, that are trying to to hoard masks that are trying to hoard hand sanitizer and sell it for $140, yeah. a small bottle. That's ridiculous. That's not being realistic. This is why kids got their ass beat on the playground when, when they were kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you, you do have. stuff like that, That's it's not okay. And you're not going to have everything you want. So what do you really need? What did you need at the Alamo? Because you can't just shit ammunition. Kind of so, cool. So you got to figure out. <laughs> you could shit out 50 cows. You know? <laughs> so you got to have those realistic expectations. You have to set yourself down and talk to yourself and figure out where you fit in, how you fit in, and how you can make good things happen for your family without being stupid. Yep. So, we, I mean, we've, we've cobbled together a bunch of sort of tips, right? I mean, go ugly early. It means conserve. Yeah. Right? Don't, I mean... You know, I saw some stuff because, I mean, the meme artists are just having, they're, they're just crushing it these days, right? Yeah, yeah, and I saw sorry. something about, you know, how luxury used to be, you know, multiple wraps of toilet paper around your hand and stuff. And now it's like, it's like one, one sheet, maybe two, and you're, you're using it and you're wrapping it over itself and, you know, all, all this stuff. And, and so go, go ugly early means, you know, take care of the stuff, but, but don't be a Order. That doesn't mean, because because you have to view yourself as part of the community. If you don't, like the, the social fabric starts to crumble. You know, we've talked about you need to have a routine. You need to have something, you need to self-impose a routine. And just because you have all these freedoms now, let's say you're fortunate, you still have your job. 
it's okay to do things that are outside of what you've done before, but you still need to manage yourself. You still need a routine. You, and you, in that routine, next point, physical fitness. You need to take care of yourself. If you live in New York, it's just an example I keep bringing up because God bless them. They're, they're just on the front lines. That is the epicenter for where this is. And, you know, it was the same 9-11. It was the financial crisis as well. And, and God bless them again. It's New York at, at the tip of the spear. And, and this, you know, it's, just, it's the world's melting pot. It's the capital of the universe, if, yeah. if you ask me. And I just, uh, they've been gritty since forever. It's defined them and they're going to be, they're going to be great up there. It's always what they've done. The, the practical side though is, I mean, you put a drone above New York right now, nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's moving at all. So you're trapped in your, in your prison cell, your, your apartment. If you view it like that, like the Count of Monte Cristo almost, you, you've got to do something to, to kind of keep your sanity to offset the fact that you're not moving around that city anymore. So you've got to do something. It gets to routine, physical fitness, pick up a hobby. I mean, that's kind of everyone's big thing that everyone's saying. I mean, for me, I've picked up some hobbies like garage gym stuff and, and turn it in, into a podcast studio that you two are ungrateful <laughs> for, right? Telling me I have fans and stuff and all this Gucci stuff. I mean, get in a deployment mindset, gentlemen, come on, right? But, but it is sort of, you know, if we spend a little bit more time. I've spent a lot more time with my kids at different times of day. It's been great, right? I mean, you know, I still walk the dog. I rock the dog. We are fortunate. To, to live here, we're able to get out a little bit more. I mean, most places out there, you can still get out. It's up to you how hard you want to make it. You put 45 pounds on your back and you walk a mile or two. Guess what? That's a lot more than just walking. And so you have to adapt because your, your physical body, you need to sleep well. And the deployment mindset, the part of go ugly early is also, you don't know exactly how long this is going to last. I mean, the more that we're able to just kind of accept optimistic, but realist, accept doesn't mean just roll over. It means the opposite. You, you just constantly improve your foxhole, but you know, it might go away. Right. right? It could change any moment, you know, I know that, you know, one of the things society we're doing, doing part of the schedule, you know, General Roberson put out and he was uh, the outgoing, uh, so chief of commanders, I got there two, three, seven was, Hey, uh, two hours a day of, uh, mental and, and uh, physical, uh, wherever work your time, you know, um, three meals a day and uh, seven hours of sleep, you know, and, and, and putting that into your schedule is important, you know, so eating right. Hey, you can still, you can still eat right now. Uh, cause probably before you probably weren't eating right. You know, putting that into all your system and getting your diet and getting locked down, man. So it's important to get that part of your your whole daily life set in place. You know, I need that as, you know, as an alpha male, I've got to have structure, you know. And so it's good to have a little freedom of movement. But at the end of the day, uh, I've got structure, you know, it's controlled chaos. I've got to have that control part of my day to get up in the morning to do certain things. But setting that schedule for me and my workouts, I know what time I work out every day and I go do it, you know, um, so it's an important part of there. But well, you uh, have to deliver, you have to establish deliverables for yourself. Yes. And then hold yourself accountable to those deliverables, whether it's, you know, get up at seven o'clock in the morning, do PT, wake the kids up, get them started on their homeschooling, feed them oatmeal, whatever it might be. Yeah. All of those things become the norm. They haven't been normal for you before necessarily. You, you may have done some of them at odd, or odd times, but you need to establish the deliverables for yourself and then hold yourself accountable to those deliverables. Yep. That's so Sean, what sort of parting words do you have for, for the folks out there? Yeah, the biggest thing is adapt, you know, it, it's, you know, and we talked about that adapting situation you're in right now, it's, and then that could change daily, you know, and that could change more three, three months from now, four months from now, five months from now, we don't really don't know where it's going to go, but it's being able to adapt and expectation management, you know, don't expect that, hey, tomorrow is going to change to say, hey, listen, I'm going to be able to do what I need to do, but have an expectation of what tomorrow is going to be like and so forth like that. Set a schedule, do your workouts, get mentally right, get physically right, you know, and that, that's a big thing is just adapt to it, brother. And it's, it's going to, it'll be all right. Humanity has been through a lot worse, so we'll be all right. Thanks so much for, despite being so ungrateful. <laughs> 
for the free beer that I, I that I got you that, that was not this, Budweiser. This has probably been sitting here for like six months in your refrigerator. How do I get rid of this? Oh, I do so try to coming. Let me give it to him. I, I do try to get rid of my bad beer. However, he has he has often chided me. He's like, hey, brother, anytime you show up to my house, I have Budweiser for you. You don't have any good stuff for me True. when True. I show up at your house. Well, guess what? You show up and here, you know, you're complaining about, I got to get fans and central air in my garage. I didn't and, say that. Rich said that. Hey, you guys said this. You, you guys said this. All right. You're, you're, you're in it together. So it's been, it's been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. All right. So Sean has left the garage. He was ungrateful for the beers that we have provided him. I love that dude. He's, he's left them for us to clean up. I will be wearing gloves. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Like it was, it was a fun episode for us. It was really good. Now, Sean, Sean has a lot of, of knowledge and expertise and, and stories as do you, as do I. And we shared them together as, as brothers and understood that this is our lives now and we have to learn to live within them. What, what does the mindset look like to, to survive and to thrive when, when life's a little bit tougher? Peel the curtain back though. We're just three current and former special forces guys drinking a couple beers and, and talking a little bit about life. It's a really valuable thing to have a friend over and just talk. And one of the things that's always been important to me and that you'll probably get tired of hearing me talk about from time to time is mentorship, that I believe in that. And that's what this, I think, turned into as you listen to this podcast, that Sean, with his experience, Jason, with his experience, and me, with my experience, want to pass on to you, wherever possible, some ideas Not that we want you to accept everything we say, but some ideas about how to structure yourself and your family and your life now in difficult times and make life better for yourself and your loved ones. We respect your time. Thanks so much for listening.